0: A few years ago, 67 year old Sabine Moreau set off to drive from her home to pick up her friend from a train station in Brussels, in Belgium. But instead of, instead of driving north, I don't know what's happening there, (laughs) instead of driving north to the train station, for some reason her sat nav directed her south. And Sabine obeyed. In fact, she continued to obey as her sat-nav directed her across the border into Germany, through Germany into Austria, then into Slovenia, and finally into Zagreb in Croatia. And it was there, and only there, she realised that she was no longer in Belgium and she had gone the wrong way. When she phoned her son to tell her where she was, he'd already reported her missing to the police, who were already about to set out to look for her. So instead of a 60-kilometre journey to the train station to get her friend, she obeyed her sat-nav on a two-day, 1,500-kilometre journey to Croatia. And then, of course, she had to turn around and drive all the way back again. Now, I I love Google Maps. And I, and I depend on it all the time. So I, I think it's a great system. But I think all of us would agree that when it comes to Satnav, this kind of total obedience is just ridiculous, isn't it? But in our Christian lives, total obedience to God is essential. Last time we looked at how obedience characterised Jesus' life. He was obedient to death, even to death on a cross. And we saw how God responded to this obedience. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. But in his letter, Paul went on to write about Another, therefore. Not this time God's response to Jesus' obedience, but what our response should be to Jesus. And that our response should be nothing less than a wholehearted commitment to serve through obedience. So we're going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to verse 18, and Mags is going to come up. And she's going to read for us this morning. Thank you, Max.
1: Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to your go- his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like the stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me.
0: Thank you very much, Max. What can we do that's a proper response to the cross? I think many of us would reflect the words... Of oh, that wonderful hymn that says this, Where are the whole realm of nature mine? That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Surely, nothing less than that would be an appropriate response to what Jesus means to us. And some people are called to literally lay down everything, even their very lives, because of their commitment to Jesus. Paul himself was expecting to have to do that. To be poured out like a drink offering, as he said in verse 17. But what about us, who at the present time anyway, are not facing a brutal and violent persecution. How do we express that same commitment to Christ? Well, I think the answer is in verse twelve. As you have always obeyed, continue. This is what the Philippians had been doing when Paul was there, and also since he had left. They've been living a life of wholehearted. Obedience. And this is how we should respond to the love and sacrifice of Christ. Not to try and think up some huge sacrifice to make to impress Jesus and demonstrate how much we love him. But instead just to daily and consistently obey what he has told us to do. King Saul, in the Old Testament, he'd been instructed by God to destroy the Amalekites and everything that they had. He was to enact God's judgment on them. But he only partially carried out this order. As he kept the best animals, claiming that he was going to sacrifice them to the Lord. However, when the prophet Samuel turned up, he said to Saul, To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. What God wants from us is obedience. Not because we're trying to impress people. Not because other people expect it of us, or they're checking up on us. Not because we feel guilty if we don't. But because obedience is the only proper response, or proper expression of our love for the one who first of all loved us. As Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And this obedience is what Paul meant by continue to work out your salvation. Verse 12. We need to be careful here. He was not telling the Philippians to work for their salvation. That's impossible. Nothing that we could ever, that we do could ever make ourselves right with God. Nothing that we could do could ever add to or supplement the finished work of Jesus on the cross. If we remember right at the start of this letter, we saw that the the Philippians, they were already the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. They were already God's holy people. So we can't work for our salvation Because that's a gift of God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But we are called to work out our salvation. To enter more and more fully into the reality of the salvation that we've already been given through Christ. If you think about it this way, you might encourage me to keep working at my marriage. If you knew me, you probably would really encourage me to keep working at my marriage. Probably need that encouragement. Now, this is not obvi- this is obviously not because on October the twenty-sixth, nineteen ninety-six, I wasn't fully married. I was. Got the ring to prove it. Instead, it means that I need to enter more and more into my relationship with Lorna, and the experience of what marriage is supposed to be to be the husband I'm called to be in a similar way we are called to keep on working out what it means to be saved what it means to be part of God's family to grow more like Jesus daily obeying his commands trusting in his plan for our lives deepening in our love for him Growing in our dependence on Him. Seeking to honour Him in everything that we do. We are to work out our salvation. And we should do this, Paul said, verse 12, with fear and trembling. With the correct attitude to God. This fear and trembling, it's not the fear of condemnation. Because as children of God, we come with the the confidence that God loves us and has accepted us and will never reject us. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 8 verse verse 15. He said this, we did not receive a, a spirit that makes you a slave to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. So we don't need to fear of what God might do to us. But we do need to fear of the hurt that we might do to God. We need to be deeply concerned that we live a life that pleases Him. To care little about how we're living would be to show God little love or respect. Or gratitude. So we mustn't take our salvation lightly. Instead we should be serious and passionate about our commitment to God. Our desire to please Him. As we experience His wonderful love and His amazing grace. As we consider the depth of Jesus' sacrifice for us as we grow in our appreciation of our amazing salvation, we must respond in true worshipful reverence for Him. And that means that we should do everything without complaining or arguing. By nature... We often respond to commands by grumbling, answering back, criticizing the, what we've been asked to do or the person who's asked us. Sometimes we express that out, sometimes it's muttering under our breath or just going, the thoughts going around in our head. But that's not the, the, the attitude that honors Christ or pleases God. If you read through uh, the Old Testament, especially the Torah, the first five books, you'll see that this is what the Israelites were always doing while they were in their wandering, their, their desert wanderings. In uh, in those forty years, they complained about their food, about their water, about their hardships, about their mission that God had given them, about the leaders that He had appointed. And God's response to them shows the seriousness of His offense that that caused Him. But God wants us to obey Him, whatever He asks. This is the emphasis of this verse: do everything without complaining or arguing, because selected obedience is really no obedience at all; it's merely convenience. If we just do what we like or what suits us or what we think is a good idea and leave all the other stuff that God tells us to do, then we're not honouring Him. We're not accepting Him as the Lord of our lives. We are still in charge. We are still taking first place. There's a story about a Bible translator who was translating the Bible into, into the native language of the tribe that he was working with but he was struggling to find a word for obedience. It was a concept that wasn't really talked about in that tribe. But as he returned from the village one day, he whistled for his dog, and it came running at full speed. And when a neighbor saw this, he said admiringly in his native language, your dog is all ear. Your dog is all ear. And then he knew that you had the word for obedience. Obedience is about being all ear. It's about having that readiness to hear God's Word and immediately want to obey. To do whatever God tells us to do. That eagerness, that passion, that desire to follow God's will for our lives. So are we all ear? Are we ready and eager to listen to God's Word? And obey Him without complaining or arguing. But the Christian life is not all about what we need to do. It's not all about our responsibility to obey. We are called to work out our salvation because, verse 13, it is God who works in you. God doesn't challenge us to live a life of passionate obedience and then passively just leave us to it. Instead, He is active in our lives. He's tirelessly working in each of us who have trusted in Jesus. It is His energy that is at work in us and through us. And that is the great encouragement of this passage. Because, if we're being honest, we know that so often we can't choose what we know is right. Or if we choose it, we can't actually accomplish it. Paul talked about the struggle in Romans chapter 7. He says, what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, I do. I think all of us will will recognize that in our own lives. Why do we keep on doing the wrong thing? Why don't don't we live out the life that we want to live for God? Our sinful nature gets in the way and weakens both our desire and our ability to do what God wants. But the, the great news of this passage is that God has given us the power the energy to will and to act according to his good purpose. To will and to act, to have the power both to choose God's will and to accomplish God's will. Of course, that doesn't mean that any of us will ever be perfect this side of heaven, that will, any of us will ever live a sinless life. But it does mean that because God is at work in our lives to will and to act according to His good purpose, there is a possibility that we can live a life that's totally different from what we could live on our own. A life that we could never live in our own strength. So this is the balance of the Christian life. Yes, we have the responsibility to respond to what Jesus has done in our lives by accepting God's will and obeying His commands. But we're not left on our, as orphans on our own to try and do this. We don't need to put up with continual failure and frustration. By His Holy Spirit, God has empowered us to live this life of obedience. And so as we work out our salvation, we do so depending on the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work in our lives. As Paul says in Ephesians 3. And this is the reason why, if you remember back in chapter 1, Paul could express his confidence that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God works in us as we work out our salvation. And as we do this, some amazing things happen. I think there's, there's four in this, this little section. First of all, we stand out as different in this world. The world that Paul and the Philippians lived in was a crooked and depraved generation, it was morally corrupt, it was perverse, it was twisted. It had turned from God and His ways. And of course it had been like this since the Garden of Eden. Isaiah could say in his generation that woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. The world swaps the labels of what is is evil and what is good. And in our generation it's no different of course, isn't it? The world has twisted morals, upside-down standards, where evil is called good and good is called evil. But we are called to stand out as different. We're not called to be going around the world and condemning the world for doing all that. But we are just called to be different from that. Not that we're perfect, because we're far from it. Not that we're self-righteous, because it's only by God's grace in our lives. But as God works out, works in us to work out our salvation, we should be set apart as blameless and pure. Children of God without fault. By His grace, God wants wants to transform our lives. To empower us. So that those who look on us will have no reason to condemn us. Will be blameless. So that there will be a real innocence in our hearts. So that we'll be pure. And so that we're without defect in in our character. (coughs) Children of God without fault. Now of course none of us are there yet. This is a work in process. All of us are in that process. The Bible is clear that all of us will still struggle with sin as we go through our lives. But this is God's ultimate goal. As as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the creation of the world, which just blows my mind, to be holy and blameless in His sight. This is God's goal for our lives. This is God's purpose and ambition for us. One day it will be our reality in its fullness. But for now God is increasingly calling us to, to and giving us the power to live out this. To live out the reality of who we are. Through our faith in Jesus, we are the children of God. So he's calling us to live as children of God. By his Spirit, he has sanctified us so that we are his saints, his holy people. And he's calling us to live separate from the world and separate to God. We stand out different from this world, not by trying to become somebody by simply living out who we already are in Christ. And secondly, as we do this, we'll shine like stars in the universe. Of course, Jesus is the true light of the world. But we've been called to shine His light into this dark world. And we do this As we hold out the word of life, it says in verse 16. Now, there are are a couple of different variations of how this could be translated. Some people think it's hold out the word of life. Other people translate it as hold on to the word of life. And maybe there's some kind of ambiguity here because Paul actually meant both. Our mission is to hold out the gospel. The message of life through faith in Jesus to a dark and dying world. But at the same time, we need to personally hold on to it. Live in it each day, allowing it to transform our hearts and our minds and our lives. We need to hold it out as we hold on to it. And that's the foundation of our Christian witness. That is the foundation of, of the key to effectiveness in our lives. Our behavior, our attitude to others, our priorities, our lifestyle, all preach a powerful message to everyone around us before we ever open our mouths. So we shine like stars in the universe as we hold on to and hold out the gospel of Jesus. And then thirdly, if we live this way, we'll be a source of joy and encouragement to others. Paul wanted to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. He was looking forward to rejoicing that these Christians that he'd served and that he'd sacrificed for and he'd suffered for were living a life of obedience that they'd been called to. He wanted to know that all of his time and effort and pain was worth it. Not that he regretted any of it. In fact, as he contemplated being poured out like a drink offering, contemplated his martyrdom, he said, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Paul counted it a real joy to serve God with his whole life. Not a heavy duty, but a privilege. A joy to see the result of his teaching and and, and the changed lives of those around him. A joy just to be able to live for God. And that's why he's called these believers, even in the middle of the strong opposition that they were suffering, that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. We'll see this coming up again and again throughout this letter. This letter is a letter that's full of joy. So often we think that a life of joy and satisfaction is to be able to do whatever we want. It's a life of freedom and ease and doing nothing. But Paul knew that joy is really found in a life of obedience to Christ. The ultimate, life, the ultimate result of a life of obedience is even more amazing. Look at verse 17. Paul called the life of obedience the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. This life of obedience to what God is calling them to do was how they served God. How they worshipped God. Yes, we can worship God this morning through these wonderful songs we're singing together. But ultimately, we're called to worship God with our whole life. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act. Of worship. Why is that? Why is our obedience an act of worship? Well, because as we obey God, we express our trust in His Word. We honour Him as Lord of our lives. We display our gratitude for His love and grace. We demonstrate our love for Him. And so we glorify Him, declaring His value. And his worth. So when it comes to Satnav, total obedience is foolish. But when it comes to God, total obedience is our proper response. This is what we need to do. This is our responsibility to respond in this way to all that Jesus has done for us. But This is also what God is doing in us. Working in us from the inside out. And this is what happens as a result. We stand out in this world as children of God. We shine out the gospel of Christ. We're a source of joy to all of God's people. And we serve our God, bringing glory to His name.